0: Best buys in biopharma. This is Industry Focus. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Christine Harges. It is May 11th, 2016, and I'm joined, as per usual, by Motley Fool Healthcare contributor Todd Campbell via Skype. Hi, Todd.
1: Hi, Christine. It's it's beautiful here. Is it is it nice down in Alexandria?
0: No, definitely not. I think I heard this is the single rainiest stretch of days we've ever had in a spring. Or you know, don't quote me on that, but it has been oh. pretty gosh darn cloudy. Oh. But I am Sorry about to, to, hear to that. head to Arizona for next week, so it's sunshine every day there. <laughs> Yay! So for today's show, uh, it is on the heels of earnings season, so we thought that we would take a look at four popular healthcare companies today and pit them against each other, battle royale style. Two are widely known big pharmas, and two are some of the largest biotechs. Within each category, which is the better buy? You will have our answers by the end of this show. So, say you want to buy a household name, Big Pharma. Can I get a drumroll, please, Todd, as I announce today's contenders, (laughs) GlaxoSmithKline and Pfizer. Let's give an overview of each company and then pick a winner. Uh, First up, let's do Glaxo.
1: This is going to be an interesting conversation. We're going to have a lot of fun talking about it. We've got two Goliaths uh, up against each other in in pharmaceuticals. And you've got two companies that are kind of diverging, if you will. Um, and I think you and I are probably going to have sl- maybe slightly, I don't want to lead the witness, slightly different opinions on the two of these companies. Um, you know, you've got GlaxoSmithKline, which is probably best known for Uh, It's asthma drugs, um, including Advair Discus. And then you've got Pfizer, um, which of course was once very well known for being the maker of the top selling uh, drug on on the planet, which was Lipitor, a cholesterol fighting drug. Both of these companies, however, are uh, seeing some pretty dramatic changes occurring within them that could influence where they go from here.
0: Yeah, that is the story across all of big pharma. More or less, you've got Really big name brand drugs that are coming off a of patent. When you look at GlaxoSmithKline, Klein, as you mentioned, Advair is the key drug to, to know the name of. This is for inhaled COPD and asthma, so respiratory conditions. And it's got a generic coming soon. Actually, technically, the patent on this drug expired in 2010, but the patent on its discus device, which is still sort of a component of the drug, remains through 2016. But either way, you face it, you've got. A potential competitor coming out soon.
1: Yeah, Glaxo—that's the, the the big wild card. Glaxo has tried in the past to assuage investor concerns about the risk to add Discus by saying that Discus is is complicated. Um, it's a complicated system. It won't be easily copied. Uh, the FDA has, has since then gone out and given some more guidance to the generics industry that. Um, Maybe it has cleared the path just a little bit better uh, for a generic competitor to come to the market. Mylan, uh, a big uh, uh, generic drug maker, has already uh, got an adverdiscus discus in front of regulators in the EU. They hope to do that here uh, with the FDA soon. um, No idea when that could get approved, but that's the story that you kind of have to watch. Because Advair accounts for about a billion dollars last quarter alone, of uh, roughly 5.2 billion dollars in pharmaceuticals only sales at Glaxo. You know, Glaxo does about eight billion total, but of their pharmaceutical uh, unit, uh, they do about 5.2 billion. So, 20 percent or so of their pharmaceutical sales potentially at risk.
0: But they're not just sitting there ready to get steamrolled by generic competition. They've got TheraVance, which is their next-generation long-lasting respiratory product, and that's designed to take the place of Advair. And you've also got some other drugs, uh, Brio-Ellipta, which is ramping up slowly. And same thing with the ellipta These drugs did not come out of the gate. Very strongly, but they have made some progress. Uh, Brio Ellipta sales were up 171 percent year over year, and Noro Ellipta was up 175 percent year over year. They're still not really moving the needle for Glaxo, but hopefully the company can continue to see a speedy ramp up of them.
1: Those two drugs, you know, Brio and Noro, you know, when when those were approved, a lot of people thought that. They were absolutely going to be the ones they were going to take the share away from Advair Discus, they're going to insulate Glaxo. Uh, even with the growth that you mentioned, though, I think that combined they did about 150 million in sales last quarter, so you know, roughly about 15% of what Advair Discus did. So, I mean, you're, you're you got to put a lot of faith basically in the next generation asthma drugs that are still coming, and I'm not sure whether or not that faith. I don't want to say deserve because I mean these brio and, and Oro, they're, they're selling well, but I'm not sure if they can be this the kind of drug that adverdiscus has been. Um we'll I, have I've, to see.
0: I will say, however, that and maybe we'll have to look outside of the respiratory franchise to to really believe this statement, but going into fiscal twenty fifteen, the CEO, Sir Andrew Whitty, laid out a goal of double digit EPS accretion in 2016 and Corpius, EPS did rise 14%. So, we are seeing some progress by this company. Um, HIV therapies were a, a pretty big part of this story. Uh, you've also got the asset swap with Novartis, which Todd, I'm sure you'll have some, some thoughts on on that uh, exchange, where essentially Novartis acquired uh, their oncology unit and GlaxoSmithKline bought the Novartis vaccine unit. and They also joined up in a consumer healthcare product venture. You
1: know, yeah, Glaxo, Witty wants double-digit growth, right, on on the bottom line. And he's going to get there, but is he going to get there via growing the business, or is he going to get there from shrinking the business? And, you know, one of the things that when I look at Glaxo, I say, okay, well, you know, if you're going to try and get double-digit growth this year, but the street is only thinking that you're going to get maybe 4% EPS growth next year, you know, at some point... You, you've cut the costs that you can cut from this from your business, so I want to see Glaxo be able to generate closer to double-digit revenue growth, uh, and, and then be able to leverage that against the cost cutting for that profit growth. That's something, in my opinion, that Pfizer has already done in reducing costs uh, in the post-lipitor world, and now that Pfizer is starting to grow again, is able to leverage that lower cost structure. Um, because of those, those rising sales.
0: Before we completely pivot to Pfizer, I just want to throw out one more thing about Glaxo, which is that they have a shingles vaccine called Shingrix that could potentially be approved in 2017 to the tune of several billion dollars in annual sales if, you know, expectations are met. So that could be that revenue driver that gets us to Witty's projections. But so. Moving on to Pfizer, uh, lest we spend the entire time talking about GlaxoSmithKline, what are some key things to watch out for with Pfizer?
1: One of the things that has me very interested in uh, in Pfizer right now is what's going on with their oncology pipeline. Okay, We all know that cancer medicine and the demand for cancer medicine is heading higher. We've got a longer-living, older population. Cancer is typically uh, something that's identified in, in patients once they you know, get up towards around 70 years old. Uh, so, you know, the prevalence of cancer is big. This is a big market opportunity. And last quarter, Pfizer nearly doubled its sales in that indication, uh, mostly because of Ibrance, a uh, breast cancer drug that it rolled out in two thousand, early two thousand fifteen, um, that is now on pace to sell about one point seven billion dollars uh, this year.
0: Yeah, and that would just be if it's flat growth. That's not even accounting for the fact that it'll probably continue to grow even at a faster pace.
1: Right, and you've got so you've got that growing very quickly, and then you've also got there are other drug zalcori, which is a lung cancer drug,
0: which yeah, you know, is, 29%. is at a slower
1: pace, um, but is still an important drug as well. So you've got a couple drugs there in oncology that you know are really helping drive the needle or move the needle for the company. And if you look at last quarter, you know, Pfizer's top line on an operational basis grew by double digits, which is which again is in my opinion what you want to see, you want to see double double digit top line growth that can be leveraged against lower costs for greater profit growth as we go forward.
0: Yeah, it's not even just barely double digit growth. It is 26% on an operational basis, meaning taking out your foreign exchange currency hits. That's pretty impressive. Right, I mean, you could
1: obviously some of that's going to be um, because of Hospira. Um, last year, they bought this Hospera, which is a major player in sterile injectable drugs, big player in biosimilars, which we'll get to in a second. I'm sure, um, you know, if you even if you x out that impact, you're still talking about 15% operational growth on a standalone basis for that company. They've got, oh, I think it's, you know, it's more than a half dozen drugs that grew by double digits uh, year over year in the most recent quarter.
0: Yeah, the Hospiro acquisition is absolutely a, a key piece to this puzzle, too. I mean, when you look at why Pfizer bought Hospira, it's absolutely a story about biosimilars. However, the legacy injectable franchise actually added $1.2 billion to Q1 revenue. So, that's something that's also a part of this. Plus, you have the tremendous cost savings. Initially, they had projected $800 million in cost savings due to this acquisition. And they actually revised that to say that they should hit a billion by 2018, which is pretty important when you're facing patent expiration. Like Pfizer is, it's
1: not chump change at all. I mean, they 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 have a lot of money. Pfizer's got a big balance sheet, right? They've got a lot of money. Glaxo does too, but Pfizer's got a lot of money. And now that the deal's off with Allergan, it's got plenty of room to be able to go out there and you know do deals, invest in R and D, etc. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about you know the cancer franchise. But they've got, they've got a lot of other drugs that are interesting too. They're, they're partnered up with Bristol Myers and Eliquis, which is a drug we've talked about on the show previously. It's an anticoagulant, it's a factor XA inhibitor. It's winning a lot of business away from warfarin. Um, it's a big seller, it's a multi billion dollar seller. And they've got some drugs in the pipeline that are intriguing. They've got a cholesterol fighting drug that they're studying. They've got an outcome study to see whether or not this cholesterol lowering drug can actually reduce the number of heart attacks and strokes suffered by patients. Data from that trial could come out next year. Um, They're also working on a checkpoint inhibitor, uh, which would be another cancer drug, and the ones that have been approved so far, uh, Bristol-Myers has Opdivo, these are multi-billion dollar uh, drugs.
0: There are a lot of irons in the fire with Pfizer. I will point out that one of our foolish uh, healthcare writers, Sean Williams, wrote an article talking about the lone blemish in Pfizer's quarterly earnings, and that was their uh, established products portfolio. So, drugs that have already lost patent, which now represent roughly 9% of sales, but they're declining rapidly. And the GEP unit on the whole actually improved seven percent operationally and that's mostly due to Hospira. But these drugs that have lost patent are really falling off the cliff quite quickly and that's not going to stop. And I think this has been one of the key issues surrounding Pfizer is what to do with that portfolio. And of course we all have heard if you've been listening to the show about the Allergan merger which fell apart and there was a good bit of speculation that one of the key reasons for doing that merger to begin with was to be able to beef up the different business units of Pfizer to potentially split them off so for me this is something holding me back on Pfizer is i'm not quite sure where they're headed with the different business units, and whether they might split them off, whether they might pursue another splashy acquisition, for me, that that's a kind of heavy question mark. I think
1: we're supposed to find out by the end of this year uh, whether or not they're going to spin that business out, what they're going to do with it. There's some chatter that they might blend that together with the Hospira business. Uh, when they do that, that would obviously increase the value of it to to you know to investors. Um you know, you look at these two, two companies and you say, okay, you got big pharma companies. They've got lots of drugs in the market. They're both going to deal with patent expiration. It's just par for the course. Um, a lot of people buy these companies for their dividends. There's no doubt that Glaxo's dividend yield currently is bigger than Pfizers. You know, Glaxo's yielding about 5.3%. Pfizer's is yielding about 3.6%. But when push comes to shove, um, if I were going to have to put my money on the table and own one of these two companies, I would go with the company that had with Pfizer and the reason I would do that is because I'm more concerned about the uncertainty of what's going to happen to that 20% of pharmaceutical revenues when a generic competitor comes on the market and maybe it'll turn out that they'll overcome it and at that point I'll more than happy to, to get on board.
0: Yeah I would agree that that is a valid concern about Glaxo. I've already pointed out my concern about Pfizer, and in comparing the two, I'm glad you brought up the dividend because that actually puts me on the side of Glaxo. But I'm personally not actually interested in either of these companies. I think that Glaxo might be a better uh, buy for somebody who is really depending on that dividend. Um, That being said, we're going to disagree. (laughs) At The Motley Fool, we embrace a variety of opinions. So, um, Moving on to our next Battle royale. Uh, Hopefully, we can have a conclusive winner on this one. So, let's say you don't want to do the whole big household name, big pharma, big question marks, patent expirations, and instead you want to buy a big biotech. Well, two great options would be Biogen and Celgene, and these are names that come up a lot when you talk about biotech. But which one is better? Let's take a look first at Biogen.
1: Well, Biogen. Has been around a long time. They're absolutely a market leader. They're a huge player in multiple sclerosis. They're the biggest market share leader in that indication. And that's a big indication. It's a, I think it's a $17 billion market. It's a big market, right? So and they've, got, they've got some of the best-selling drugs uh, associated with that market. So I think that there's there's a lot of interest in Biogen, especially because its shares have fallen pretty dramatically in the past year. And as a result, um, you're kind of paying big pharma multiples to own bi- big biotech.
0: Yeah, they're trading for 14 times 2016 estimates, which is actually almost exactly on the dot what Pfizer is trading for. Which is pretty
1: funny, right? When you think about that, I mean, who would have thought that five years ago that that would be the case? But or even two years ago. But you know, you've you've got a company here that you could argue is maturing in its indication. Okay. So it's a market share leader in, in multiple sclerosis. Other people are trying to angle in and win away market share. You've got Novartis has a drug that that that's winning away uh, share glenia. You've got Santa Fe with Baggio. Um, and as a result, you've got Biogen innovating its own drugs in that indication to hold on to that the question then becomes, okay, what kind of future growth? I mean, you're now protecting your market share, but can you continue to grow your top line uh, in that indication?
0: And that is going to be absolutely pivotal for Biogen. Their multiple sclerosis franchise sales were up just 2.4% year over year, and it does seem like they're losing some market share to their com- their competitors, such as Novartis. Novartis saw tw- 12% growth in their drug, Jelania. Tecfidera, the Biogen drug, their sales are just slowing. And that's its biggest revenue generator. So that's definitely something that investors are concerned about. But, of course, Biogen's also not just going to let competitors come swoop up all of their revenue. They're working on their own drug in multiple, multiple sclerosis that could actually stop the progression of the disease, which is really interesting because normally these drugs just slow the progression.
1: I mean, that's a... It's such an exciting possibility for for patients to be able to the the concept of being able to have a a treatment that would be available to them that would stop this what can be a devastating disease in its tracks. And obviously, that would be a a huge win for Biogen and being able to uh, uh, insulate itself against any of these other competitors.
0: And that's not their only moonshot game-changer drug that they're working on. They also have a really intriguing Alzheimer's candidate.
1: Yeah. Alzheimer's, as you and I have discussed previously on the show, Alzheimer's is an extremely tough to treat disease. There are no uh, drugs that are approved that can reverse or curb it. Um, They can slow it slightly, um, but this is a devastating disease and we need new treatments. Biogen has a phase three study going on right now, a couple years out from data um, that possibly maybe may offer some new hope.
0: Yep. And moving on, after the Alzheimer's, uh, I would say the next most intriguing moonshot would be in spinal muscular atrophy, which is another really devastating disease. Biogen is partnered with Ionis Pharmaceuticals in developing a drug that's currently in phase two, and the data looks good so far.
1: So far, so good. With all of these things, though, investors always have to take a step back and say, "Okay, yep, yeah, I." There are three Ps that I like to focus on when I evaluate. Do I like one company better than I like another company? I like the pro- I like to look at product. I like to look at pipeline. I like to look at profitability. And if you look at those three Ps, if you will, uh, and and bear those out and, and research into them, then I think that you say, okay, well, you've got Biogen is a very profitable company, right? Um, it's got some great products on the market right now. And then with the pipeline, you just have to take it with a little bit of a grain of salt because trials do end up falling short and so build, build that in as you're looking at this don't don't necessarily assume that you know either of these drugs either of these any of these three drugs that you just mentioned for myogen are going to become billion dollar blockbusters we just don't know that for sure yet
0: Yeah, an investment in Biogen at this point is really an investment in the pipeline. And I actually need to correct myself really quick. Um, The SMA drug that they're developing with Ionis is actually in phase three trials. I misread my notes here. They have two phase three trials. And we'll get data on that next year. But, so, uh, Biogen has $6.8 billion in cash. That sounds like a lot, but it's actually not a ton. And they really are relying on their late-stage candidates to come through for growth.
1: They have plenty of cash flow, though. They are generating out plenty of cash flow. It's point. not like they're financial they're not on fi- firm financial ground. I feel pretty good about them that way. Um, you know, one of the things that we haven't talked about yet with this company that I think is worth mentioning is that you, know, as they're trying to figure out where their future growth is going to come from, one of the things they had done is they, they developed two hemophilia drugs. Um, and those hemophilia drugs have been growing sales very rapidly. Well, they've just announced recently that they're going to spin that business out um, as a separate entity, the hemophilia business. And okay. that is very intriguing to me. It's a very intriguing decision, and it could theoretically be very, very intriguing uh, company to own the spin out uh, after it's done. So investors are going to want to keep an eye on how that plays out as well.
0: For sure. Let's take a quick look at our last company in the battle list, and that is Celgene.
1: Well, Celgene is just. I, it's hard to, for me to find a, a better company at monetizing cancer therapies, different therapies. I mean, Celgene has has proven itself by rolling out a handful of drugs that are becoming top sellers within their indications. I think they're probably best known. Well, they would be best known for Revlimid. Revlimid is a multiple myeloma drug uh, that is the most prescribed therapy in first and second line uh, indication for that disease. That drug is going to do, I think, six point seven billion dollars in sales this year. It's it's an absolute Goliath. So yeah, Celgene is a is a very big company. It's a very big player um, in the cancer space, uh, and it's got a lot of drivers that I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute.
0: One of my favorite of these drivers is Otesla, which saw a growth of two hundred and twenty four percent year over year to one hundred and ninety six million dollars for the quarter. A Tesla is capturing 38% of psoriasis patients that are switching brands or starting therapy and 42% of psoriatic arthritis patients that are also switching or starting. However, they only have a small fraction of the market for both, which to me, that says they have a huge opportunity there to continue growing as they grab these new patients.
1: Autoimmune diseases like psoriasis are huge market opportunities. Some of the largest drugs uh, in the world, Remicade, uh, Enbrel, uh, Humira, uh, target treatment of these diseases. Otezla is a drug that can be taken orally, however, rather than injected. That's That's a major advantage. A lot of people will turn to this drug. Before going to some of these injectables, and what's really intriguing about how quickly sales are are starting to ramp for this drug is the, you know, Celgene. This is their first foray into autoimmune diseases like this. It's not like they had a sales team that was ready to go that they could just say, "Hey, go out and start pitching this drug too." Um, So they they have just it's it's been I think a very very uh, successful drug for them so far, and it's still a very young drug. I mean, they think that this drug has multi billion dollar potential.
0: One of the other things I find intriguing about Celgene are, is their partnerships, which they are very generous with. You will find no shortage of different ownership or royalty or collaboration agreements with smaller companies. Do any of them in particular stand out to you?
1: I think one of the ones that people have to focus on right now is Juno Therapeutics. Celgene last year cut a deal with Juno to partner up on some of their uh, CAR T cancer therapies, and Juno could theoretically have a drug in front of the FDA in 2017. Celgene knows 10 10 percent, uh, roughly, of Juno Therapeutics' uh, equity. Um, and again, seeing how it has its partnered up on on what could be, you know, a, a big big next generation uh, class of drugs and these CAR Ts. Um, You should really keep an eye on that because it could move the needle, but it's certainly not the only thing that Celgene has going on. It's like you mentioned, it's got a lot of collaborations out there that could start to pay off over the course of the next couple of years, but it also has some interesting internal uh, drugs that are uh, in the works as well, including, interestingly, a drug for multiple sclerosis that could someday challenge Biogen.
0: That's interesting. So. When you look at this and you put up Biogen versus Celgene, which is the better buy?
1: This one was a little bit tougher for me than the first class, uh, the, the battle that we discussed. But I think that I'm going to say Cell Gene with a caveat. The reason that I say Cell Gene is because I tend to be a growth investor and I like double digit growth. You probably got that impression from listening. Um, you know, Cellgene is a company that's still producing uh, 20% uh, annualized sales and, and, and profit growth. They think that their sales could roughly double to 20 billion by 2000. Um, 20, uh, and generate $13 per share, which would be just remarkable, uh, especially given what you have to pay, uh, what you're paying now for a share price. However, I really like the idea of um, owning Biogen, not necessarily 100% because of, of the potential in MS and um, those other drugs, but also because I want to get that my hands on that spinoff of their <laughs> really hemophilia business
0: that makes sense. And even though Biogen is a cheaper company to own on a valuation basis, Celgene's trading for 18x 2016 earnings, I also would agree that I think Celgene is the better buy. And I actually feel more strongly about that decision than I do about picking Glaxo over Pfizer. That that was a little bit tougher of a call for me. So I know that you're a shareholder of Celgene. Looking at today's prices for a new entrant, which do you think of the four companies that we talked about today is the best buy of them all?
1: If you're a growth investor, it's Celgene. If you're a value investor, it's Pfizer.
0: All right. There you have it, and I will add one more thing to that list and say that if you are looking for a dividend, that would be Glaxo. But you know, Biogen is a good company too. I mean, we we picked a good handful of companies here. Todd, thank you so much for your analysis today. And fool on everybody. As always, people on the program may have interests in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear.